Have you ever tried to hold a baby in a bathtub? It's a word that comes to mind. Slippery, squirmy, both of them apply. Slippery and squirmy, these babies in a bathtub, they're so hard to grasp, and yet you have to actively work on hanging on to that which is most precious, that baby. Well, today we begin our series in which we are focusing on four essential beliefs of our theology as we long to actively hang on to these essential, most precious truths and beliefs. Because in a day and age where the truth seems more slippery than a baby in a bathtub, we are here to proclaim today that we know what is true. That's the good news we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his word. Our series is called Let's Talk About It. You see, our church is a part of the Reformed Church of America. It's the oldest active Protestant denomination in the U.S. It's over 400 years of faithful kingdom work. It's part of our history. But the denomination is facing a crisis as there's been a widening gap between who we have historically been as a denomination and who we are becoming. And in that gap, there's been a lot of fracturing. Churches and classes are leaving in significant numbers. Why is that? Well, a lot of it comes from an ongoing departure from our historic theological understanding of these four precious and essential truths of our Christian faith. You may say, Kevin, I heard it was about this thing and this thing only. That thing you're thinking of is a symptom of the deeper and the truer issue at hand. And that's what we hope to address here in our series. Let's talk about it. You see those issues on the screen. The theological understanding of biblical authority, of sin, of grace, of community. So for the next four Sundays, we will consider our theology around these four areas as we as a church navigate and seek God's will for us as his faith community. Let's talk about it. Today, biblical authority. Hey, uh, Kevin, what do you mean by authority? What is authority? It's what we answer to. It's what has the final say. If you're in a classroom, who has the authority? The teacher. If you are uh, in traffic and maybe do something you're not supposed to do, who has the authority? Police officer. Uh, husbands at home, who has the authority? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. There's a few different, uh, I'm just going to let you guys ruminate over that. And in our life, what is our final authority? It is the Bible. The Bible is our final authority. It's who we answer to. It's what has the final say. All other teachings and learnings fall beneath it. Okay? That is our foundation of faith. The Bible has the final say. Why? Well, it's through God's divine word that, that we, are, we learn, the Bible reveals to us God. It reveals to us our highest authority. It, it reveals to us the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, his attributes, his character. The Bible reveals his word. It reveals his way. 
It reveals his works, his design, his path, his plan. And it's not just that. It also reveals our history. It reveals our place in the world. It reveals our identity, who we belong to. It reveals our struggle with sin and the hardships of life. And it reveals our response and our role to play. The Bible is the final authority, for it is the true written word of the highest authority. That is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, God Almighty. So if you were to ask, can we trust the Bible? That's our final authority, but can we, can we trust it? Well, that would be the same as asking, can we trust God? Because God's word is breathed out by God. And to question his word is to question the one who speaks. We're going to sit in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. And in our passage, Paul is writing to Timothy it's one of his co-laborers in the faith. He's a younger guy that, that Paul is, is, is encouraging in the faith. And in this letter, Paul recalls with Timothy that, that Timothy has followed Paul's teaching. He recalls for him the examples that Paul has set for Timothy in the faith. He recalls Timothy's God-given purpose and the fruit of Paul and Timothy's faith. Timothy has witnessed the hardships and the suffering that Paul has had to face from following Jesus so faithfully. And then he writes the following from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 12. We're going to look at this passage in two parts. Hear the true word of the Lord. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pause there. So here Paul is encouraging Timothy, cling to what is true. And what is true is what he's learned from the sacred writings. And what is true is how he has seen a life of faith lived out through Paul and others as they seek to follow the teachings of those same sacred writings and the way of Jesus. And why is Paul telling Timothy to cling to these teachings? Well, for while evil people, they may go from bad to worse. Those that know the word of God are made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
because the word of God is breathed out by God. And reading the word of God will make us complete. You see, it will fill a void that can only be filled by the one who speaks life into being. The Bible is true, and it can be trusted in all it affirms, in all that it teaches. It is breathed out. That is the very same language we have in the creation account. It is breathed out, it is flowing from the mouth of our Creator God. And the Bible is as true as the sun is true, as the dirt beneath our feet is true, as the flesh on our bones is true. If you're not sure about it, give yourself a pinch. It's really there. It is real. It is true. The Word of God is true, for God is the truth. The truth. You can claim nothing else as being the truth aside from Almighty God. There's a ton of passages you're welcome to look up to help verify the truth of that claim there. You can write those down. You see, naturally, our view of Scripture, it is tightly linked with our view of God. If God is Scripture's author, then we cannot, we should not divorce the character of the divine author from the character of his divine speech. You see, we are looking at God's written word. It is as much a revelation of God's self as Jesus, the living incarnate word. The words in this text are God's very words. It's his divine speech, and it reflects to us his very character. And as the God of truth, and the God who is the truth, everything he speaks is a word of truth. So, when we read, for instance, the psalmist's proclamation that God is perfect, we say, yes, that is a profound truth. We don't say, no, well, now hold on. There's no way that's true. Let me think about this for a while. Let me talk to my neighbor. I think he has a better take. And that is where the problem lies. We live in a world where we are taught to question everything. We are instructed to doubt everything. We are told that the only truth that matters is that which we claim as our truth. Oh, I dislike that expression a great deal. You see, hypotheses in schools are presented as facts, and the truth of God is presented as a myth. That is the world in which we live. So are we surprised that we have been conditioned to question if God's word is true? No. Paul knew of this reality. God spoke through Paul to address this very topic as we continue on our passage at 2 Timothy, starting at chapter 4, verse 1. It's a continuation of what we read earlier. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And that is what Timothy did. He took Paul's words to heart because he believed they were God's words through him. It was the primary focus of Timothy's ministry, especially in Ephesus. It was to defend the truth of God from those that would not endure hearing the truth. And there are a lot of itching ears in our world today, my friends. A lot that hear only what they want to hear. And they throw out all the rest. They throw out the baby with the bathwater. They let go of that which is most precious instead of clinging to it like it is life. In fact, the battle for truth has been going on ever since Adam and Eve believed the father of lies over the truth, God's self. If God's word is true, Satan's words are lies. If God's gift is life, Satan's gift is death. That is why we must, what Paul urges, what I am urging for all of us today, to contend for the truth, to know the truth, to hold this text with reverence as we seek to interpret it truly and faithfully. Not how we want to, but how it is revealed to us. Perhaps you've heard the arguments about this word. You've heard things like, but, but, but isn't scripture written by humans? And humans are not perfect, so, so how can this word be perfect and true? Well, friends, God works through humans. Read your Bible from Genesis to the end. He works through humans. The Bible is authored divinely by God. It is written by God through humans by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which in John 15 is referred to as the Spirit of truth. Look at what it says in Second Peter. For no prophecy was ever produced, what? By the will of man, but men spoke from who? From God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just as what the prophet speaks, when they speak, they speak the words of God. When the Bible's authors wrote, they wrote the written words of God. The Holy Spirit is the constant throughout the entire formation of the Bible. He, this has the God's stamp of approval on every word in here. But um, haven't we lost mean over years of translation? And aren't there errors within the text and, and, and errors in transcription? That is why we are called to the most important work of seeking right interpretation. We are fallible. The truth of God is not. And so we have to claim and seek and look at this through our helpful theological lenses, our creeds and our confections that put on our guardrails to keep us in line with the, 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 the essentials of the Christian faith. 
and then we wrestle with it, and we trust the Spirit to work in us, and we look at it in context and in the whole story and formation of the Word. We cannot be reckless in our interpretation. Jesus and his disciples consider how they handled the Old Testament text. They handled it with trust and with reverence. And we know that, that the text, the Old Testament text, there was a big gap between the Old Testament and the gospel days of the New Testament, about 500 years or so. We also know that the Old Testament was passed down orally and orally for years and years and years and generations before it was able to be written down. There's a long history where error could have entered God's word. And yet, how did Jesus and his disciple handle the ancient text? With reverence and trust. Because God and his Holy Spirit divinely authored this text and held his word together for all of time. Even when Jesus and the Jews had strong disagreements over how the Old Testament was interpreted, they never once, not once did they disagree to whether or not this text was trustworthy. This text is trustworthy. We can trust if God is powerful enough to hold the cosmos together, if he is powerful enough to part the seas and have power over death, he is capable of sustaining his true word throughout the ages. But I heard the Bible promotes things like slavery, maybe other things like women not being able to wear jewelry, or that men can have more than one wife. But you see, God's Word reveals both his way and plan of redemption as well as our history and our ongoing struggle with sin. It does not promote sin, period. A lot, some of this is contextual and cultural. The women in ju- with jewelry thing was very cultural at that time and God was setting things up and that working within that Earlier on, when you, you, slavery was a part of their day and age, do you think God promoted and celebrated that? By no means. What do we see when we read the entire biblical narrative is God cares about every individual, every child of God. He came to set the captives free. He came to set you and me free. Free slavery is not kingdom words. It is earthly, sinful words, and there is no place for it in the kingdom of God. And that is what we see as God works throughout his word and his history. Because Jesus, with his words and way, he laid down his life for the least of these. And then we look at his design. He did not create man for many women. He created man for one woman. That was a culturally accepted sin at the time. But we see throughout the ages how that has changed. We see throughout how the Spirit is still at work over the years as you follow the history from Genesis through Acts and all the epistles. God's path and his plan is a constant story of redemption over all these things. Okay, but how in the world does a text written over 2,000 years ago, and plus, relate to us here and now. The Bible's not relevant. Have you heard this one? Yeah. We need a drink before I address that one. Of water. It's water. That sounded really bad. 
Someone can come smell this if they want. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now, there are folks who wonder if the Bible is trustworthy or if it's sufficient to inform our lives on modern-day issues. In fact, this is a primary argument occurring within our denomination right now. Recently, at the floor of General Synod, which I was a part of, I was present to witness this, a paper was submitted to General Synod and received for theological consideration over the next two years on the topic of human sexuality that claimed that the Bible is not sufficient to provide a modern ethic of sexuality. I'm sorry, friends, but the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient for all areas of life. You can never claim otherwise. To claim otherwise is to have a lesser view of God. The Bible is relevant to our day and age, right here and right now, and for every single area of our lives. It is sufficient to provide a modern ethic of sexuality. It is clear on what it teaches about God's design for love, for relationships, for sexuality. It is also clear on how we are called to interact with one another, how we're called to love God as we also love our neighbor. And we're going to talk more about this in the upcoming weeks because honestly, we're kind of bad at holding grace and truth together. But that's what we're called to. Is it sufficient to inform every single area of our lives? Yes, because Jesus is the Son of God. Period. Blank. If you don't agree with that, then you're not Christian because that is a foundational, unshakable belief of Christianity. Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus brings credibility to the truth of God's word. He expresses his belief that God's covenant promises in the scriptures have come true in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He is the living embodiment of the truth of God's word. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus Christ is the fruition of God's promises. He proves it true. Because not one of God's words has ever proven to fail. Jesus is the proof. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he affirms for us the truth and the reliability of God's word. To say the Bible is not sufficient is to say that God is not sufficient. And friends, I will never proclaim that to be the case. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers. <laughs> we know that. The flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God stands forever. It is always relevant. <laughs> it is always sufficient. For the word of God is not ancient in, in that it was written way back then and, and, and that's it. No, it is alive and it is active. You know the verse, Hebrews 4, the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing souls and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
It's alive and active. It is not ancient and passive. It is timeless. As the Bible was breathed out by God all those years ago, God at that time already knew all of the universe's history. We're going to wade into some deep theology here, but you can handle it. God is both transcendent and imminent at the same time. Transcendent means he exists And this was really crazy for our minds. It's like, whoa, he exists outside of time. Meaning, in all of his power and glory and majesty, he can look at the entire universe of the history of the universe all at once. What happened, what will be, what's happening right now, he sees it all at once. He knows the entire story of everything, of all time, all at once, as he views it with his eternal glance. But he's also imminent. And this, you're starting to see the mighty majesty of God, right? He's imminent, and that means he also travels along with us through time. And that's an incredible gift of grace, for he doesn't need to, but he chooses to. He knows that, you know, you don't want to read a book when you know the end. It's like ruins for you. He knows the end, and it's beautiful and profound, and he knows you and your journey, and he cares so deeply for you that he travels with us along through time, interacting and responding to us as we go. He is both transcendent and imminent. So that means if God knows all of this, he knew what we're dealing with in this day and age, that means the Bible is indeed sufficient for informing every single area of our life and our faith. God made sure of this. His word will always stand Any other view is to have a lesser view of God. So the Bible, it might not talk explicitly about modern-day issues. Things like, for instance, it doesn't, you won't find the words Facebook or TikTok in here, right? Obviously, you won't. But what does it say about, like, social media? It says a lot about what we consume. It says a whole lot about what we give our attention to. It has a lot to say about how we interact with and treat others and what we let into our being and out of our being. Does that communicate to what we deal with with social media? Absolutely. Profoundly. And that's just one small area. It is sufficient for every single area of our lives. It is relevant to every single area of our lives. To recap, the Bible is true. The Bible is true in all it teaches and all it affirms. It is indeed useful. Oh my heavens, that's why it's the sword of our spirit. This is our one weapon we have. (laughs) Praise God for that truth. It is relevant. It is sufficient. But what does that also mean? That means we are going to read things in this book we are not going to really like. We're going to not want to accept. We are not going to want them. Do you remember that part earlier in our Timothy passage about... um, you know, suffering, that the faithful of God will suffer, I don't like that. I want to cut that out and throw that away, don't you? We can't. We can't. What does Paul, he doubles down on his encouragement to Timothy, embrace suffering. That's not how you bring people in the doors until you can point to the hope and the joy we have in God in and through on the other side of suffering than we do. You see, we can't decide what we keep and what we throw out. The reality is, I would love to take scissors to this book, 
to Thomas Jefferson my way through it, all right, and leave just what I want. But if I did that, I would be proclaiming myself better than God. I would say I have a better idea than God does. I would be no better than Adam and Eve that moment in the garden, taking the serpent lies as truth. I would be just like those that Paul warned about, simply suiting my own passions, wanting to hear what I want to hear, and that's it. Friends, the Bible is not a tool for us to use as we see fit, okay? As we think we need it. It's our map, it is our compass, it is our guide, it it is our life raft, it is our food for our soul that we need to follow for a faith-filled life directed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the true word of God. The Bible is our final authority. And so our posture will be one that is countercultural and yet completely gospel-centric. And that is not to question everything, not to, not to be like Pilate and say what is true. Because truth is before us, my friends, just as real as Jesus stood before Pilate. Truth is before us, and we will submit to the true word of God. This is our final authority. Our posture is one of surrender because only in God's kingdom is surrender an act of complete victory. We submit. We trust that God, the author and perfecter of our faith, is also the author and perfecter of his written word. We trust his spirit to illuminate and to his divine word to bring us understanding. We also accept that God's grace is sufficient and will cover us in our wrestling. And we have faith that will fill the gaps in our ability to understand. And we're humble enough to admit we know a lot less than we actually know. So we will treat and act with grace. We will read and seek the true interpretation of Scripture, not based on our own emotions and feelings, but seeking God's desire and his design. We submit to God and his word, for we are people of the kingdom. We do not succumb to the popular and cultural beliefs of this world as it delineates from God's word because we are not people of this world. And we handle the scriptures with awe and reverence, for they are the living words of our living God. They are precious. We will approach them with humility, for they were breathed into existence with the very breath of heaven that breathed us into existence. Because if we do something else. If we don't do that, if we hold an incorrect or a smaller view of the authority of God's word, or we claim it's not sufficient, or we claim it's not that relevant, we risk everything. Because this is our starting point and our foundation of faith. This we cannot question. Because then we'd have to question everything. If we had a smaller view, then we have a deflated view of sin. We're talking about sin next week. We, where we don't take it seriously enough. And if that happens, we'll have an immature view of grace, which we'll talk about the next week, in which we abuse the most amazing gift of all eternity. 
And if we do that, we're going to have a misguided and an uninformed blueprint for how to live in a community as people who are all sinners, all saved by grace. As we contend for grace and truth in equal measure. May we cling to what we know is true. May we reflect what we learn. Reflect the Savior it teaches us about as we live as people of the truth, as good news people, pointing always to the high King of heaven. May it be true for each and every one of us here in this place today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Why don't we pray? Father, we give you thanks for your divine word, for speaking it into being, for it speaking life into our souls even today. We humble ourselves before you, God, and submit ourselves once more to you. We thank you for the truth of your word that reveals to us who you are, your power, your majesty, your glory, your might, your grace, your love, your sacrifice, and our salvation that is only found in you and you alone. For you save us from a life of torment. You save us from the penalty of sin, which is certain death and separation from you forever. And by your simple act and most profound act of grace, you have given us a way to true life and life that endures forever. We praise your name for you are the highest authority. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come, who has existed always and forever, who knows all of eternity even now, and who is here present in this room with us here and now. We proclaim that you are our King. You are the King Most High who reigns forever. And we thank you for who you are, whose we are, and for your holy and true word. May we be inspired and compelled and convicted and emboldened and encouraged by the power of your spirit to now go and be your hands and feet and your good news people in this world that so needs you, Lord. We love you, God. We thank you for the grace on the journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.